we're excited whether you're joining us in the room, you're online, as we kick off our Catching Feelings series. And so uh, tonight we're going to be in part one of that series. And I just want to let you all know that uh, with this series, one thing that we always do is we have a podcast we put out called Open Mic. You can actually search High Street Young Adults on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, and you can join us in this podcast. And what we'll do is there's so much content to cover in this series. We can't possibly cover it all on Tuesday night. So every Thursday of this series, we'll release a podcast and there'll be one out this Thursday, open mic, and it's gonna kind of build off of what we discuss tonight. I also wanna let you know, if you're a note taker, you like to see what's going on, you can jump on the YouVersion Bible app. And if you click the more tab and go to live, you can follow along with us under events right there and you can see the notes that we're gonna be going through. And so I invite you to do that tonight. And as we kick off this Catching Feeling series, what we're talking about tonight is what I would say is the start to healthy relationships. It's the starting point for healthy relationships. You could call it the key to having good relationships. This is the starting point. If you can get this right, I really truly believe that the rest will begin to fall into place. And so uh, kind of what we're gonna dive into tonight is really taking a look at what marriage is. And you might be thinking, wow, that's like an interesting place to start a relationship series. We went from not even talking about it to we're married okay? I wouldn't suggest that on your first date, all right? But for tonight, we're going to kind of work from that uh, standpoint, and as we evaluate relationships, love, sex, dating, all of those different things. And so marriage might be one of those things that depending on your experiences uh, and what you maybe saw growing up, you might think like, man, marriage is really, really good. Or you might think, man, like marriage is something that scares me. It's tough. I don't know how to really uh, approach that. And I think a lot of people would agree that marriage is uh, good when it's good. But uh, man, we've heard that it can be tough when it is tough. And the truth is, is if you look at, uh, one reason why we can know that is that 39% of marriages in the United States end in divorce, 39%. Some of you might be thinking like, uh, well, I've heard it's 50% before. And what's interesting, and we're gonna talk and kind of digest this here, is that uh, marriage divorce rates actually used to be closer to 50%. 50%. If you look at like statistics from the 1980s, and what we've seen is actually a decrease in the rates of divorce in our country. And you might be thinking, hey, that's a great thing. We're on the right trajectory. But as you unpack the rest of the stats, you see that, uh, number one, if you went in for uh, a surgery tomorrow at the hospital and they say, uh, the doctor goes to you and say, hey, there's a 39% chance that we're gonna fail at this. You wouldn't be like, sign me up. I'm so excited to have this surgery tomorrow. That 39%, that's still something that's like, man, okay, it's improved, but we have to continue to unpack that. And one of the reasons that those numbers aren't as high as they used to be is the fact that marriage in our society, the rates of marriage are declining. So marriage actually is declining. But this is so interesting because if we polled people, if we went out in Springfield, Missouri or across the U.S., we would find that eight out of ten people would say that they hope to be married one day. And in this room, my guess would be that it would be even higher than that, that a majority of people have hopes and dreams to one day be married. Yet in this, even though that statistic exists and we know that to be true, 
What's interesting is that rates of marriage are declining. And so we have to ask ourselves, why? Why is that the case? Why is marriage happening less? Why is this thing that people want, right? But we know it's kind of difficult, but we also want it. We know it can be really, really good. When you get to the end of your life, like I think people want that picture of uh, growing old with a spouse, right? And it's like, okay, then what is happening? Why are the rates declining? And what we see is that uh, I think there's really three things we can look to as to why marriage is declining in our society and why it's less common. And, the, and I want to read you a quote, okay? And this is from uh, a Gallup research article. And if you don't know what Gallup is, they take polls and ask people questions. And so this was the conclusion of their study. They said, solid majorities of Americans now view sex between an unmarried man and woman, same-sex relations, and having a baby outside of marriage as being morally acceptable. And they attribute this as to why we are seeing rates of marriage actually decrease. What else have we seen? That rates of cohabitation, one per, a, a man living with a woman or people living together before they're married, these rates have actually skyrocketed. And not only have they skyrocketed, the, the view that our society has towards that has drastically shifted over the last 50 years. And this has now become commonplace, that people are living together before they are married. And what's so interesting about this is when you compare and when you look, research has found that couples who are married say that they trust their partner more, they trust their spouse more, and they're more satisfied in their relationship. This is secular research. This isn't like, hey, we're, we're looking at something that a religious institution put together. This is secular research. What other researchers found is actually, and this is what they classified it at, is cohabitation is actually one of the most major risk factors for divorce. That people who cohabitate together, you can find this research article in the Journal of Marriage and Families, that what they found is that it's actually the, one of the primary risk factors for couples who get divorced. But yet these things have become commonplace. And so we start to see these are maybe some of the reasons why marriage has, uh, rates of marriage has decreased. Another reason that I personally think that marriage has declined and why we've seen that decrease is because of the access we have to sexual gratification through pornography. I mean, we are in an unprecedented time in our society where access to that starts at such a young age, and I believe that sexual gratification, which we're gonna talk about that and its role in marriage, is people are receiving that and fulfilling that outside of marriage. And I think these things kind of culminate together and work together, and it's like, okay, we have these decreased rates of marriage, yet so many people want it. If you polled people who are married, no one's gonna say, you know what? I'll take an average marriage, that's what I'm after. I'm just going for average. And you know, that's probably not what most people want, is that people want a good marriage. They want good and healthy relationships. And so there's this conundrum that goes on, it's that people want this, but yet we're not seeing it happen in our society. So that should cause us, right? If we're thinking critically about it, we have to ask the question, why is that the case? Like, why is this happening? And what we do here at Young Adults, what we do here at High Street, is we take a look at God's word, we open it up and we see how can we take what God has said and apply it to our current circumstances in our life. And so as we take God's word and look at this idea of marriage, we're gonna try and make sense out of what is the purpose of marriage? Why does it exist? What, why can we set ourselves up better for marriage? And my first point tonight is this, I wanna jump right into it, is that your theology 
Okay, we're getting heavy here right at the start, but just stay with me because this is gonna be like a trickle-down effect, all right? So you gotta stay with me at the start to see where we're getting to, okay? Is that your theology shapes your worldview. And maybe you hear that word theology and you're like, cool, I'm out. I don't know what that means. When we look at the word theology, really when we see that word in English, that comes from uh, two Greek words. That's where it gets its origin from. The, word, the Greek word of theos, meaning God, and logos, meaning word. So we're studying God. Theology means we're studying God. The same as biology would mean we're studying life. Theology, uh, another way we could say this point, instead of your theology shapes your worldview, is that what you believe about God, what you believe to be true about God will always impact the way you live. What you believe to be true about God, your theology will always shape your worldview. Your worldview shapes the way that you are going to live your life. And I said, hey, this is like the starting point. Trust me, we're going somewhere with this. But I, it reminds me of whenever I was a junior at Missouri State University, go Bears, back in session, come on. Uh, I was a physical education major, all right? So academically, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a certain type of people that choose to be a PE teacher, all right? Uh, and so in my major, the coursework honestly wasn't that, uh, that bad. I had to take actually a couple of dance classes. I taught people how to do the watermelon crawl. So if you'd like me to show you a line dance afterwards, I can. Um, but in, in my course load, one of the classes that we took was kinesiology. And in kinesiology, this was kind of known as like, man, this is a tough class. You gotta get it right for the kinesiology. You gotta pass this to graduate. And so the first day of kinesiology, I'll never forget this. I sat in there and our professor comes in and he is kind of an interesting guy. And, uh, you know, and he, he, he goes, yeah, if you don't have a basic understanding of trig, you're not going to pass this class. And I went, what, what did he say? Tr trigonometry? Okay. This is a problem for me because in high school, I dropped out of algebra two and I went down to integrated algebra. Come on, somebody. Anybody in the room was like, hey, I'm with you on the math stuff. We're doing it. We're making it. We're, we're doing good in life. We're still doing good. But uh, I'm in an integrated algebra class. So I'm like, I've never even heard of sine, cosine, and tangent, right? For all I knew, that was insurance terms. And he's saying, we got to know it. So I go, I do what anybody would do whenever they're in college. I went to the Bear Claw at Missouri State University. Because when I was on my SOAR visit, I was like, they promised us they got tutors. And I was like, I'm going to go and take advantage of this. I'm not sure if the Bear Claw exists anymore. I have no idea. But I went to it one time. And uh, this, this poor young lady sits down with me. And she's, I mean, that's a humbling experience right there. I was up in the Bear Claw. And this, this, uh, this girl was teaching me how to you know, do sine, cosine, and tangent. But I was glad that I, I did, like he warned us. He's like, hey, if you don't get this right in this class, you're not gonna pass it. And so I went, I took that seriously. And what was so interesting in that class is that everything built off of the beginning of the class. That starting point, because I had a firm foundation in that, the rest of the class honestly wasn't that bad for me. But what I saw for a lot of my peers is they did not take that serious. And so on tests three, four, and five, they're struggling. They're getting Ds and Fs on those tests, wondering, am I gonna pass this class? Because they didn't put in the work at the front end. They didn't understand what they should have at the front end. And I think what we're gonna talk about tonight when we look at theology right off the start, right? And we look at what we believe about God is we gotta get this right and in order to get our relationships right. We have to get this right in order to get our relationships right. 
And I don't know where you are on that journey and what you believe about God, but I wanna ask you three questions kind of as we get underway. And the first question is this, is do you believe, right? Okay, do you believe that God created the universe and everything in it? Do you believe that God created the universe and everything in it? And your answer to that question impacts the way you're gonna view relationships, right? Because if God created everything, then he created you and, and me, and he, he designed us, and he knows about us. I think about it like this. I just got a 2014 Honda Odyssey minivan, all right? Ballin', all right? I, I'm just saying, if there's any young adults in here and you might be single, whatever, uh, just go ahead and buy a minivan. Just, just, I press buttons and my door's open. I press buttons and my doors close. You just pop, fold and go seats, it's amazing. Jared and I both have a minivan. I'm just telling you, if you're gonna buy a car, just go for it. But I had recently my check engine light on and I took it over to the Honda dealership. Why? I don't know anything about cars. Shout out to all the car people. That's not me, okay? So I'm just gonna take it, I'm gonna drop the keys because they understand what's going on in my minivan. They understand the design, right? And I think about it like this is, God understands us because he created us. He knows about us. So that would mean that if God did create us, we should look at what he has to say about how we are to live. Do you believe God created you and me? Do you believe he's the author of our lives? The second question I'd ask you is this, is do you have a relationship, not just a, a but a personal relationship with God? Is that something that you had? You know, we just sang this song before we started. And one of the passages of scripture I've been memorizing lately uh, or, or trying to memorize is 1 Peter 3.18. And it says, for Christ suffered once for all sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That is my favorite verse that just sums up the gospel, what Jesus did on the cross so well for us, because we are unrighteous. Scripture tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I don't think that's a thing that uh, a lot of people would argue with. Like, I know that I've done wrong. Like, if you saw me at my worst, I have sinned and I have fallen short of that standard that God has set forth. But even though I'm unrighteous, God sent his son Jesus, who was completely righteous, lived on this earth. We, we sing about it, like he walked on the dirt, he walked on earth, right? And he lived a perfect life, but he was crucified and killed on a cross, only to rise three days later, being put to death, but made alive in the spirit, right? He's resurrected, the resurrection of Jesus, overcoming death in the grave. That is the story of the gospel. And what it looks like to have a relationship with God is this, is submitting over authority of your life and saying, hey, I'm not in charge, but God, I'm gonna let you lead me. You're gonna be in charge. And I think when we look at some of those statistics we talked about at the beginning, maybe if we were honest, we'd say, hey, we don't always get things right when it's just our idea. We're not always getting things right, so maybe we should submit authority over to a God who loves us, cares for us, and can put us down a path that is good for us. And the third question I would ask you is this, is what do you view about the Bible? Like, what, do you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and is an authoritative guide as to how we should live. 
And we talked about this in the Open Mic podcast. I'm not gonna tell all of it because I want you to go listen to it. But we talked about this, that sometimes that seems limiting. Like, why would God give us this, this word, right, that is a guide in our life? Why would he give us that? That seems so limiting. I wanna be free. And then if there's any area in our lives where people want freedom, it's freedom in sexuality, freedom in relationships. We wanna do what makes us happy, Right? But where it seems so limiting, it's actually quite freeing. I would use this analogy with my kids. I would not send my children, if I lived on a busy street, I would not send them outside in the front yard and just not even watch them and give them free reign. And if I lived next to a busy street and I didn't have a fence in my front yard, like I wouldn't just send them out there and let them play because they could get hurt. But if I had a fence that would protect them and keep them in the right spot, it would actually be the most freeing thing because then they could go outside and they could play, they could have that freedom. And God's word is kind of like that fence that when we stay in this safe zone, we can have freedom and security and comfort and purpose. And that's what God's word guides us towards. And to think about it like this, okay, if God is in heaven, as he is real, then we can't just have God and not have obedience. Obedience comes with a relationship with God And this is a great thing because what our goal in this series is, is to take the chaos out of relationships and add clarity into it. There's a lot of chaos in our society in terms of all these things, relationships, sex, dating, all this. We're trying to take away the chaos and add clarity. And we believe it's God's word that actually adds clarity into the situation. We believe it's God's word that does that. I would ask you those questions. Your theology, your world, your theology is always gonna shape your worldview. What you believe about God is always gonna impact the way you, you, the way you live. And so you, what you believe about God, your theology is also gonna shape the way that you view marriage. Your theology is always gonna shape the way that you view marriage. And I wanna read two passages. How many of y'all been to a wedding before? Okay, anybody? Let's go. I've been to a lot of weddings. I've been to a lot of weddings. And uh, almost guarantee you can, you can find these passages of scripture read at weddings. And what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to check out. My prayer is that you would see this in, in a light of understanding how important this is, right? How important this foundation is to understanding everything else. And so we're gonna go through Genesis chapter two, verses 20 through 25. And then we're gonna jump to something Jesus says in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 19. So I'm gonna read through this first passage. We'll talk about it a little bit, and then we're going to break it down and see, okay, how do we apply this to our relationships? What can we learn about marriage from what we, from what we read? So Genesis 2, 20 through 25, this is in the, uh, at, at the beginning of the world, God's creation. He says, the man gave names to all, li- all the livestock. He's talking about Adam, right? Adam gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of heaven, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he he made into a woman and brought her to the man. I wanna pause right here for a second and we we can leave that up. But I wanna pause right here. What's so interesting about this is that God knew Eve before Adam knew Eve. God knew Eve, he created her, and he knew her before Adam knew Eve. And so when we look at marriage, you have these two different individuals who are coming together 
And we're gonna talk about the unity that they experience in a minute, but it's not two separate individuals that come together and they lose their identity. That it's two separate individuals that come together in unified unified purpose and in unified commitment to one another. But what's so incredible is that there is a God in heaven. He's not distant. He's not far off. He created you in the same exact way. He has created every human being who has ever lived from Adam and Eve on. He created you and he wants good things for you. God knew Eve before Adam knew Eve. Verse 22, we see that. And the rib of the Lord that God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And you can read that today and be like, I don't know what that means. Basically what Adam was saying is he saw Eve and he was like, come on God, I'm in on this. That's what he was thinking, all right? And so he breaks out in this Hebrew poem in the same way that uh, you, you might look at your future spouse and be like, come on now God, all right? Let's go. Maybe you'll get there one day. Okay, Uh, 24, it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. In verse 24, this is something really important right here. I wanna talk to the guys for a second. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. He shall cleave to his wife. It's a man's responsibility to leave and a man's responsibility to cleave. That's where it starts. And so ladies, if you're in the room tonight and you're wondering what do I look for in a man, you're looking for someone that is leading himself because if he's not leading himself, he's not ready to lead you. If he's not leading himself, he's not ready to lead you. And guys, let me tell you, there is no greater thing like than getting to like lead in this capacity. I don't wanna say there's no greater thing, but this is a great thing that we get to experience is leading in this capacity. And it's a responsibility. And as a guy who's been married uh, for seven years now, almost eight, I can say that I can't lead my wife well without the help of the Holy Spirit. Like, my sinful nature does not allow me to lead my wife without the help of God and the growth of God in both of our lives. And that's a responsibility that we take serious. And the deal is, is what happens so often in our society is men shake and shook their God-given responsibility to lead. And the result of that is broken homes, single mothers, and I'm not knocking on that. I know that that happens and there's, there's single moms out there who are crushing it and killing it and doing everything they can, but there's so many kids. Like, and, and, and I can give this like anecdotal evidence from whenever I was teaching, the wounds that are left in a kid's life when they don't have a father in their home. Look at the research. It impacts them in a major way. Some of y'all, that is your story. And praise God that if you've overcome some of those things and God can heal wounds that nobody else can heal. And he can overcome those things in your life. But man, it hurts and it leaves pain behind. And so men, we have such a strong charge to lead our spouses well. And this isn't a thing that's like, a, 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 like it's not a nagging thing that we have to do. This is a good thing. It'll bring you joy. It'll bring you happiness in your life when you are leading your family spiritually. 
In verse 25, it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. And we're gonna talk about that more in a minute, but I wanna jump to Matthew 19 really quick because there's a lot of confusion in our society. Uh, I think even in Christian circles with people picking and choosing what scriptures we follow, right? And, and we see these kind of mixed reviews on what marriage is and what not and, and what this person said and what that person said. But what we see is in Genesis chapter two, God explains what marriage is and then in in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus affirms this marriage. And Matthew 19 reads like this. Jesus is having a discussion with these Pharisees, these religious leaders who are basically trying to trick him, trip him up. And this is response to them and when they've asked questions about divorce. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Let not man separate. And so what we see here is Jesus, the son of God, confirming what the father has said in Genesis chapter two and laying out a very clear description of what marriage looks like. And so real quick, four, four quick takeaways from these two passages. And the first one is this, is that God is the creator of marriage. You know, when we look at marriage, oftentimes if we just look at it, sometimes we approach it in our society as if it's something that we created. It was our idea, but it wasn't. We see that it was God's idea from the very beginning. God is the author and the creator of marriage. So the starting point, the starting point for healthy relationships is viewing it the way that God has designed it. The second takeaway we see is that marriage unifies a man and a woman. That the man shall leave his, his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And now not as he just, he, he's leaving, right? But physically, when you engage in sex with your spouse, that, that's like a depiction of what marriage is because when you, are, when you are with your spouse and you're naked in front of them and you're not ashamed, like everything is exposed, but there's no shame. And guess what? Marriage is outside of just the, the physical portion of sex. Outside of that, you're sharing finances, you're sharing hopes and dreams, you're sharing family, and you're putting yourself out there saying, here's everything that I am. You have access to all of this and there's no shame there. And what happens when there's just flippant commitment is there is shame there. What happens when there's one night stands, there is shame there. And that's what happens when we deviate from God's design. But within that, there is no shame. And that leads to the third, third point, really, that there isn't shame within our marriage, that there's actually you know, this peace that exists because we're following after God's plan. And Jesus kind of sums it up in the end of Matthew chapter 19. And he says that, you know, what man, what God, what man has brought to, or what's been brought together, let no man separate. What God has brought together, let no man separate. That marriage is a commitment. Marriage is a commitment. And you know what I love about being married to my wife, Emma, is that we are committed to one another. I don't go home at night wondering like, man, is she, is she gonna be there? 
Is she gonna be there tomorrow? Is she gonna break up with me? Like that's not what I have to think because we've made a commitment to one another. And you're gonna, you're gonna see this when you're married is it's not always, you know, sunshines and, and, and butterflies and we hear talk about the honeymoon stage and all those different things. It's not always that. There will be tough times because guess what? All of us walk through adversity and trials and we need people to grow with us, but to do that with someone who is committed, that you've made a commitment before God and before other people, that there's this unending commitment that exists. And that is something, it's like, okay, that, that's different than maybe what society shapes as marriage. Because sometimes our view that we get pushed on from society is that marriage is all about like, hey, is that gonna fulfill you? Is that person gonna love you well and, and fulfill every need that you have and you're not gonna long for anything ever? It's like, man, what marriage is, is that we're content with God the Father. We're content with who we are in Christ and two people who are content with Christ walking with him come together on mission in a unified purpose in their marriage and that they're both reflecting the love of Christ to one another. And that's a much sweeter depiction than what we get in this selfish, self-fulfilling desires that we have. And now you should have desires fulfilled in marriage, right? It's not like it's like, you know, misery. That's not what God intends for it. There is so much pleasure and joy within it, but it happens when there is commitment in place. And the last thing is this, and this is where it all flows to is that your view of marriage, your view of marriage shapes how you approach relationships, sex, and dating. When we have the starting point right, suddenly we get clarity to everything else that's going on. So when we ask those questions, I wanna ask some questions that we, we come up against all the time. It's like, man, should I have sex with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Well, what's scripture say? Genesis 2, a man leaves his father and mother and holds fast to his wife, that sex is something that is set aside for the marriage bed, and that, you know, that is the purpose and the intention of it. So should I? No. And it, it adds clarity to it. There's no confusion. You're not wondering, like, how far is too far? It's like, man, I want to just honor God in our relationship here physically so that when we are married, if we get married, then we can engage in that the way that God has designed. Should uh, I move in with my boyfriend or girlfriend to see if we're compatible? Well, where's the commitment in that, right? I can tell you also just from example, like being married seven years, it wouldn't have made a bit of difference in the world had I lived with my wife before we were married or not because we're committed to each other. We'll learn that as we go. And what I, I feel so sad for sometimes when I go to weddings and, and, and you know, if the, the couple's already been living together or whatnot, or, or you see couples that are engaging in this, what I feel sad for is they, they miss out on getting to learn life together, fully committed to one another. And that's a beautiful thing that we get to see. It adds clarity to that. Should I date this person even though they aren't following Christ? You know, I just talked to a girl who's in our community uh, this week and she actually just broke up with a guy who wasn't following Christ. Now, when they first met, he goes to church, um, you know, and kind of checked off that box as she was getting to know him. And I talked to her and she's like, man, it was really hard because he checked off every single other box. But when, when I talked to her, what's so great about this girl, she has community and she has people around us. And so as my wife and I kind of asked her, like, you know, what was that like? She said, you know, it was really tough, but I knew from my community when my mentor told me, like, hey, I don't think this guy's like really following Christ. And when she's like, he's not reading his Bible on a regular basis, that's, that's not existent for him. And 
We don't talk about spiritual things. She started to see that the warning signs and the red flags were there. So she knew it was time to move on. And she had the courage. She looked at her list of non-negotiables and non-negotiable number one is that that man would be chasing after God. And she said, he's not. And so this girl has entered back into a season of singleness, but I have the utmost respect for her because she didn't compromise what mattered the most because her view of marriage, the way that she wanted to be led added to clarity in her dating. It added to clarity in her dating. Is it okay to look at pornography? Well, why would we look at two people engaging in a sexual act that was reserved for marriage and we're not in that relationship at all? It just doesn't make, like it's, it's not the way God designed it. And we start to see that suddenly these things get clarity as we understand and have a biblical view of what marriage is. And, uh, you know, I think in this topic, we say this a lot whenever we start talking about it, is you might've been hearing that there is no shame uh, in, in marriage, right? When we've talked about verse 25, the, the, the man, Adam and Eve looked at each other and they were not ashamed. And you might be thinking, that's not my story. I've got a lot of baggage. I got a lot of things in my past. The great part about what we've talked about tonight has been a lot of truth, but the gospel is both grace and truth. You know, when we look at one of my favorite passages is Nehemiah 9, 17, and we see the character of God as the Israelite people have failed over and over and over again. It looks at them, he says, uh, this is what Nehemiah says about God. He says, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Your past mistakes don't have to define you. That God can take your current situation or your past circumstances, he can heal you from them, he can bring healing to those situations and he can set you on a trajectory towards healthy relationships. That if you're in here and you have shame, right? And you have that heaviness and that weight and that past, only God can forgive you of that. Only he can wash you clean, right? That's what a relationship with Jesus does. And so if you don't have that, that's the most important thing that you can do. The gospel is so beautiful because it's grace and truth that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for you to forgive you of that sin debt that you owe. And he loves you enough too to give you truth by which to live. And so that starting point is that relationship with Christ. I wanna ask everyone to bow their heads